0: Hello, and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast.
1: Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie Rules and the Mighty Bombers.
0: From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you.
1: Thank you for joining us. Let's, Let's start, start the, the pod. pod. Welcome to episode twenty-six of the SM People Podcast. Our round seventeen review of the game against Adelaide last Friday, and a look ahead to round eighteen in the game against North Melbourne on Sunday. Brendan, what did you make of Friday night's game?
0: Oh, it was, uh, um it was a good result. Obviously, glad to get the uh, glad to get the win. Surprise, we uh, we only kept them to uh, to two goals for the game, but. Um, Geez, after that quarter time there, I wasn't quite sure where we were going. I thought it might be uh might be time to, to turn it off and go uh go do something else. Maybe uh stir at the wall or you know, watch watch grass grow, because it was oh, it was a terrible first quarter. What did you think?
1: Yeah, it was it was one of the uglier ten goal wins uh that you'd want to watch. But if if your team wins by ten goals, you obviously take it. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a spectacle by any means, but uh if you win then it's uh, it's it's not a bad night either so uh, we'll jump into it so we played Adelaide at Marvel Stadium we won by 63 points it was Essendon, 11 goals 1884 to Adelaide two goals 9 21 and if we just go by the quarter by quarter you mentioned the first quarter there Essendon two goals 5 17 to Adelaide 0 two so we went in we, we had seven scoring shots to their two uh, but due to our 28% conversion uh uh, kicking there we uh, only led by 15 points so just it just felt like a quarter time despite all the dominance that you know they came out and kicked the first two goals it was all for nothing uh, fortunately that didn't really happen in the second quarter we kicked four goals three uh, we're a little bit more accurate to their one goal one so at halftime we led by 35 I, I don't know about you but I still had that feeling at halftime that we only really we only lead by you know just shy of six goals like it's not We've been in that position before and blown it, and uh, we'd only managed to kick the four, the you know, probably six goals, I think it was, all up at half time there. So um, I just felt like 35 points at half time wasn't a great lead considering the dominance
0: that we had. Yeah, I thought, you know, 14 scoring shots to four, I thought we'd um, we'd blown our opportunity to convert. And I thought, oh, the Crows are going to come back into the game, maybe, you know, and then they'll run, overrun us. So that that didn't happen there so but um, yeah, I guess I think it's something we've said a lot this year is the conversion rates been been down really and, you know even in that second quarter there's was only 58% efficiency so still plenty of uh, room for improvement uh, and I, I guess it kind of leads into the third quarter there when we had you know another seven scoring shots. We kicked the, the three goals 4 twenty-two, uh, won the quarter by uh, twelve points, but only went at forty-two percent efficiency, and that's obviously you know, and that was obviously when you compare it to Adelaide, they kicked one goal four, you know, won at twenty percent. So, but as you can tell, they had five scoring shots that quarter, and if they you know, they were a little bit more accurate, they could have easily have, uh, have won the quarter there. So, I guess it's kind of a, a trend. Throughout the game, that it was um, very difficult for us to score. Yeah, and I think as well, um,
1: yeah, the conversion, the conversion is definitely the the highlight of the night. There, even in the last quarter, going at twenty five percent, we could have really put a put a full stop on the game in the last quarter and blown them away. But um, I think as well, early in this game, so Tex Walker, they didn't have Tex Walker playing, who has kicked 40-plus goals this year. Elliot Himmelberg was a laid out, which is a key forward for them. I, left, I think that left them really exposed in terms of forward stocks. And then they had a, a number of young players as well. So I think it's probably important to remember that we went up against a very inexperienced Adelaide side. And despite our inexperience, I think that they were probably in a worse off position than us, playing away from home, having a few big outs as well. So I think there was a lot to do with the opposition and, and kind of the cards that they were dealt before the game as well. Um so it's always good to get a 10-goal win, don't get me wrong, because we haven't enjoyed too many of those over the, over recent years. But, uh, yeah, I think I think we sort of had a bit of luck as well
0: before the game with a few key outs to them. Yeah, their lack of key forwards really stood out when you think that, I think, what won us the game was our intercepting key defenders. Guys like Ridley, Laverde, uh, Redman, Hind, even, even James Stewart really – had a bit of a, a bit of a rough week last week, had a really strong week this week. Just they didn't have people to kick to and and therefore they had a lot of small or mediums and I think it's been mentioned a bit from our side that, you know, we don't really have those a number of real tall uh, players like Stewart, but we've got a lot of guys who are that 190 to 193 195 centimetres, whereas the Crows didn't have those guys. They had a lot of guys that were giving up, you know, 10 or so centimetres and, you know, guys like James Rose in his first year, Ned McHenry's in his second or third year, you know, they had a lot of guys in that forward line that were very inexperienced. And then they were giving up height and weight, you know, to, to guys that are in form. you know, like you know, Laverde would be one of the more informed key defenders in the comp and Ridley's one of the best interceptor players in the comp. So yeah, you're, you're up against um two pretty good players there. If we break it down the half by half
1: just quickly as well, it pretty much I guess the, the theme is that we were we were a two to three goal a side, a quarter better side than they were. So we won the first half by 35 points. We won the second half by 28 points. We had almost an equal amount of scoring shots in each half, 14 in the first, 15 in the second. And, uh, we just edged away a little bit more each quarter. Um, the the conversion, we mentioned our conversion of you know, 43% in the first half and 33% in the second half was quite poor to be under 50%. But then if you look at Adelaide, it's even worse. In the first half, they went at 25%. And uh, in the second half, it got even worse and they went at 14%. So like you said, they could have really, um, not maybe not won the game, but evened it up a little bit better and, and maybe made it a, a little bit more of a closer margin. But... Uh, yeah, as you can tell by the stats and the conversion and the scoring shots, it wasn't a spectacle uh, by any means. So with that, we'll get into the good, the bad and the ugly. So good. Uh, we sort of mentioned this already, but a 10-goal win is always is always a good thing. Um, next on the list here, we had, we had a lot of the ball and uh, a lot of it on the inside plus the outside, which was something that Geelong did to us the week prior. So it was good to be on the other end of that. We had some aggressive running with people carrying the ball and bouncing. So Cutler, Tipper and... Nick Cox all had uh, three bounces at each,
0: which is um, which is pretty good. What, what else did you make of the stats here? Yeah, I just thought we had an overall dominance of of disposals. We were plus fifty one. Uh, as is probably our game plan. We had uh, more handballs than kicks, so we were plus sixteen kicks but plus thirty five handballs. And you kind of you touched on the um touched on the bounces there. We had fifteen bounces for the game, the crows didn't have any. So what kind of what out of the way I saw is us getting a lot of the ball, using it by hand, was kind of led us into space and kind of we took, we joked a little bit that that first quarter there was kind of like the uh, – was 2000 with the Bulldogs flood where the Crows were just stacking guys in their back line there and it was just unwatchable because we couldn't get the ball forward. But that meant we had a lot of the ball in the middle of the ground So and that kind of led throughout the game. Once we got on top in the middle – We kind of carried that through the full four quarters and that run and transition, the lots of bouncing and being a bit daring, I think probably frightened the Crows a bit because they couldn't match it. They couldn't deal with it. And then they ended up flooding. So I think it was, I think we talk about contested, uncontested, you know, we won both those counts. We had 20 more contested positions and 31 more uncontested. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a, Reading all around in terms of disposal, which I kind of, which then probably leads us into how effective we were with the disposals. We had um, quite similar disposal efficiencies in terms of we went at about 77, they went at about 75, but just the sheer weight of numbers of overall disposal, we had 45 more uh, effective disposals and we had 13 less turnovers and 30. 18 less clangers. So clangers and turnovers have been a bit high for us uh, this year. It's kind of been a bit of a trend there. Maybe the ball going forward hasn't been as clean inside 50, but um, I think just with the sheer weight of numbers, they kind of um, looked a bit better than maybe what it was. What did you think, Mark? Yeah, I think, like you said, on face value,
1: the efficiency percentages look quite similar, but when you break it down to the amount of disposals you've had and, and the sheer number more effective disposals you've had than the opposition, it, it begins to add up. And then on the flip side, their turnovers being a lot more than ours, creates more opportunities, I guess, for us to go the other way. So, um, you yeah, know, when you delve into those numbers, it, it's quite clear. The a, a nice one this week was we got plenty of the ball inside 50 and, and put a bit of pressure on up there as well. So... The inside 50s, they had 31. We had nearly double there. So we had 30 more. We had 61 inside 50s, so almost twice as many. Uh, the inside 50s per goal obviously was a lot less for us than it was for them. We went inside 50 uh, five and a half times to score a goal. They were 15 and a half times. And uh, our marks inside 50 was pleasing this week too. It's something that we sort of struggled with and highlighted recently. But we had 13 marks inside 50 to their two. And our tackles inside fifty, which indicate a good amount of pressure, we had 20 tackles inside our 50. Um, they only had three in in their forward 50. Uh, so I guess that was pleasing to to see that we we're getting it down there and uh, putting the pressure on to keep it down there uh, as well. And we had plenty of opportunities to score, but didn't capitalise on that. So uh, against the better side, that'll be be an issue. And if we just delve into those numbers, um, I guess. Scoring shots, we had a lot, which is a good thing. 29 scoring shots, they're 11, so we had 18 more scoring shots. Uh, a conversion, obviously, we've touched on already at, at just under 38%. They were 18%, so thankfully uh, they didn't they didn't really punish us at the other end. Um, disposals per goal, we were 34 uh, disposals per goal, nearly 35. They were 165, and I guess that's just a result of not having kicked, kicked many goals, so uh, that that number's a bit skewed there. Um Disposals per scoring shot, we had 13, they were 30, so you know, every 13 or 14 uh disposals, we were generating a, a shot on goal, which is quite good. Score involvements was quite pleasing as well. We had 114 to so their 54, so we had 60 more scoring involvements, uh, which was a nice number to see as well.
0: Yeah, so I think for me, the, the key takeaway is probably. You know, lots of lots of big numbers there because we had a lot, a lot more of the ball and it was kind of playing in our terms. But that that disposals per scoring shot, I think, is really interesting there. Like we essentially had, you know, less less than half the disposals were needed to get a scoring shot. So that that's really an important thing because that shows that you you're probably using the ball. Uh, a bit better. It shows that you're getting the ball inside fifty, and then once you're getting the ball inside fifty, you're actually giving yourselves opportunities to have a shot goal. Often, you know, sometimes, yeah, I know lots of people would have seen Essendon sides get big inside fifty numbers, but it goes in at two or three meters and it comes back out, or it goes in like in a in the Melbourne game. We had plenty of inside fifties, but we we're kicking it straight to, you know, May and Lever, and it was coming straight back out. So it didn't really count for much. But to actually get it in there, uh, use it well, and then get shots on goal is positive. And I think you, you touched on about the tackles inside 50, how that was a really important um, important stat. To get 20 tackles inside 50 means pressure's really high, but also it means that there's opportunities to spill the ball, to get to capitalise on all those turnovers that, the Crows made, and to get shots on goal. So I think overall that's kind of maybe the game plan that we've talked about. A lot of talk about how this Richmond game plan is a lot of handball, forward, get the ball in the 50, put pressure on, get repeat entries. And if that's what we're looking to do, that was a good, a good example of how it will work for us.
1: Just so I guess tackle sorry. numbers there. sorry I was just going to say just on the tackle numbers the, the total tackles there I guess 57 to Adelaide's 45 so we had 12 more tackles um, despite having more of the ball which was which was good and then the one percenters uh, we had 51 to their 40 so we had 11 more uh one percenters all the you know shepherds blocks and, and things like that as well so um yeah despite having more of the ball I guess people still managed to to give those efforts as well which was is a good sign of of general effort like you
0: were saying earlier yeah, so I'll probably get into some, some more players now. We we'll talk talked earlier about how good the back line was and how we were dominating the intercepts there. You know, we had plus 30 intercepts. So I guess key was that was kind of four guys in Redmond, Ridley, Laverty, and uh, Nick Hind. So Mason Redmond had a 25 touches, went at 88% efficiency, had the 11 marks, six rebound 50s, six score involvements and eight intercepts. Uh, Ridley went at 23, had 23 disposals, went at 95% efficiency, took the 11 marks, three Redman 50s, the 8-1 percenters, which is a massive number, uh, three score involvements and six intercepts. Laverdi had the 15 touches at 93% efficiency. Again, 11 marks, four of those marks were contested, and that, I think that was a real standout of his game on the weekend there. Uh, had the 7-1 percenters and eight intercepts, and Nick Hind had the uh, 24 disposals at 96% efficiency. Again, 10 marks, big numbers, two clearances, six score involvements, and five intercepts. I th- yeah. what, what, what more can you say than rock solid uh, going
1: fantastic? Yeah. The, the whole defensive unit, the whole back line was really good uh, last Friday. Yeah, like you said, there's not much more you can add to that. Um, I guess in the centre, so Zach Merritt took the captaincy this week in the absence of of Dyson Heppel with his thumb injury, and he played a bit of a lone hand in the middle, um, and it's definitely shown his ability to to be a captain. So he had 35 disposals 80% efficiency, four marks, three tackles, a goal assist, six inside 50s, five clearances, eight score involvements and three intercepts uh, playing the 85% game time. So um, I think something that a lot of people now are talking about with Zach Merritt, his, his kicking ability and how dangerous he can be going inside 50. Uh, I guess we've really been screaming out for someone who can hit a target inside 50. And if, if he gets the ball and he's in that zone, you've you've always got a lot of confidence that he's going to make the right decision and that he's going to Give the forward the best opportunity to take
0: a mark. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that he's he really, it's a strength of his bit kind of went away from a little bit in recent years because he was kind of focusing on other areas of the game. So it's good to see him kind of come back to that. And with the, you know, Parrish's ability to win more of the ball you know, on the inside, maybe he doesn't have to focus so much on winning the ball to help the team. He can kind of use other parts of his games to really impact impact the side. So it's, it's really good for us long-term, I think, that he's he's, he's doing that. Um, three players, the small, medium forwards contributed really strongly, I thought. Uh, so that's uh, Will Snelling, Alec Waterman and McDonald, to Woody, those kind of small to medium forwards. So, you know, Will Snelling had 24 touches at 80% efficiency, kicked a goal, you know, had two inside 50s, eight score involvements. Alec Waterman had... 18 disposals, took six marks, six score involvements, kicked the goal himself. And then Tipper only had the 10 disposals, but went at 90% efficiency, kicked the goal, and had three goal assists. So they've all, all three of them have kicked the goal. And Tipper's had the three goal assists is really setting up goals for others. And then obviously the eight score involvements as well. So I thought, whilst they didn't stand out on, as having you know, massive days or kicked a bag, I thought their um their contribution was really was really important to the side. A couple of other guys who were important as well were a couple of our younger players
1: who we've mentioned in the last couple of weeks. There's been a few guys who have looked a bit tired, um, maybe struggled to get their hand on the ball a little bit. I guess that maybe has been born by playing some really good sides in in Melbourne and Geelong too. But um, Nick Cox and Archie Perkins both had. Great games. Uh, so Nick Cox had the 19 disposers at 84% efficiency. Like you said earlier, had the three bounces as well. So run and carry the ball. showed some real moments of brilliance again. There was, there was a moment there where he sort of blind turned someone on the boundary and you know, arguably could have gone and had a shot, but tried to bring some people into the game. So he had four tackles as well. So he's working really hard. Three inside 50s. Uh, got himself a clearance, five score involvements and two intercepts. Uh, Played 80% of the game. Archie Perkins, 18 disposals at 61% efficiency. Had the four marks, two tackles. Um, He kicked three goals and three behinds, um, which created a lot of talk. He obviously hit the scoreboard and became a lot more noticeable this week um, outside of probably Essendon circles. Uh, Had the four inside 50s, nine score involvements, and two intercepts from 73% game time. So those guys um, really stood up this week and really contributed well. Yeah,
0: well... um... Yeah, Perkins, you know, had a really good game there. If he had of, um, had of been able to kick a big straighter there, he probably would have been best on ground. I thought that, that was one of his better games. I know we were talking before, Mark, that, you know, even if you take the, the scoreboard impact off, so take the goals away, I just thought he, the way he played was was what I really liked. He's kind of played a bit more forward. He kind of ran, ran a bit more. I think there was a comment he made after the game that coaches kind of Wanted him to really kind of run more instead of jogging. Kind of actually run, get to position, kind of put put pressure on. So that was really noticeable. And I think you know his um his nine score involvement. So that's you know that's that's in addition to his to his scoreboard impact himself. So I thought yeah, he he's a really important game for us up forward. And if he can continue that, he will um it'll be in the side for a long long time.
1: The next guy here, uh, Marty Gleeson, looked very confident on his return. Um, he got he got some really good punches and spoils in early and um, a couple of marks, which really set him up well early in the game, I think, to have a confident game. So we've said in the past few weeks at VFL level that he's been playing some classic Marty Gleeson games, and it was more of the same at AFL level, which was pleasing to watch. So he had the 11, 11 disposals, which might not look uh, like a huge number, but I guess you've got to remember that, there wasn't a hell of a lot of the ball going down there and, and there was a, a lot of his mates around him in Hind, Liberty, Ridley and Redmond, um, I guess, gobbled up a lot of the possessions uh, sort of at the halfback kind of area. So, yeah, you know, the 11 disposes himself at 90% efficiency, so that's really good. Seven marks, a couple of tackles, a couple inside 50s. Uh, nearly got close enough to kick a goal there at one point. Um, he had the four score involvements. He played 83% of the game time. So he came in to play a really important role and to fill the gap that, uh, Dyson Heppel had vacated with his injury, and I thought he did it really well.
0: Yeah, he he did very well. And you, you mentioned that he kind of did the knocks, the blocks, the spoils. He had he had seven of those one percenters there. And, you know, if you say you counted them as a stat, like instead of a spoil, it was a kick or a mark, right? He's had, he's had 18 disposals across the game. So I, I thought his influence was greater than that of 11 disposals. It was closer to, you know, what someone else might have with 20. And, you know, we talk about the classic Marty game. It's all about cutting the lines, taking the smart option, uh, doing well in the air, floating across to help his man. All those things is what makes up a classic Marty game. And, you know, seven marks as well. He's always been really good overhead there. And, you know, I think he's a real compliment piece. And I think his second game for the year, his first game, you know, in, you know, 10 plus weeks, um, I think it was a really good reminder of what, he can do, and sometimes you kind of get focused on what a player can't do, as opposed to what a player can do. I think it was a good reminder of what Marty can do, and I still think there's a spot for him, uh, on the list. You know, now we talk about we might talk a bit later about how we've, you know, with some injuries we're even more depleted in the midfield than what we've been already. So there might be some opportunities for, you know, a Heppel to kind of move back into the midfield, and Marty can play that role down back. Right. I still think he, he's a valuable contributor to the side. He's obviously much loved by his teammates and, you know, provides a lot of experience there. And, you know, you, you can't you can't have superstars in every line. You can't have a full 44 everywhere. And someone's got to miss out when you get picked. So we, we, we're very lucky at the moment. We've got a lot of depth in Marty's position. But that doesn't mean, you know, he's not a good player. It just means at the moment... The way the side's been structured up, some some people are a little bit ahead of him, but um, yeah, good to see him come back. And another guy that had had a good game, kind of a bit a bit like Marty, a little bit maligned, is Tommy Cutler. Uh, I thought he had a really good game. He kind of really um got won a lot of ball through the uh, through the middle there. He looked looked really good. Had the eighteen disposals when at seventy eight percent efficiency. Had the nine marks, four inside fifties three score involvements, and then a four intercept. So he kind of contributed to both ends there. And I thought, you know, his run, his height, and his kicking were real standouts of of his game. What did you think of uh, Cutler's work? Yeah, I was, I was the same.
1: I was um, really pleased to see him get his hand on the ball and be really confident. There was a stage there where he ran through the middle of the ground and took a bounce and really looked like how he played at VFL level. Um, so he... Yeah, he looked, he just he just looked like he belonged and uh, looked like he was backing himself in, which is really good. So uh, yeah, Tom Cutler definitely definitely earns his spot on the side this week and uh, would be stiff to be taken out. I would have thought in uh, in next week's game or this week's coming. Um, a couple of other mentions is uh, Braden Ham played the last quarter, came on when Langford did his hammy and uh, came on and played the last quarter. Um, he also then played a full VFL game uh, the following day uh, against Henry Ham, so, uh, and played really well, which we'll, um, which we'll go into a bit later. But uh, that, that was a bit of an honourable mention there for Brayden Ham, backing up, uh, I guess, a full game off the back of playing at the last quarter of an AFL game. And uh, also the crowd, I guess, on Friday night. So it was a pretty cold night with the roof open at Marvel, and we had 23,600 Essendon uh, fans turn up, I guess, at pretty short notice as well. I think the the crowd capacity went to 40,000, uh, but it was only about a day or two before the game. So there wasn't a lot of time for people to organise tickets. And some people may have already had plans and things like that as well. So I thought a crowd of 23,600 was pretty good considering the short notice uh, and shows, I guess, a, a lot of support
0: for Essendon at the moment, which was pleasing to see. Um, yeah. So I think we'll, we'll move on to the uh, onto the bad now. And I think we've touched on it a, a fair bit. Um, inaccuracy and poor conversion 18 behinds Um, yeah it's just unsustainable Uh, we will lose games if we don't convert better as the old saying goes poor kicking is poor football Um, we're lucky on the night that we were able to win by 10 goals and it was probably more to do with what how how Adelaide was playing as opposed to what what we did it's kind of similar to that round three game against St Kilda it was more to do you know what they were bringing to the park than anything that we did, but um, yeah, I would really like to see us um get get a better conversion rate, get up to the sixty percent, seventy percent. That would really be something that's good, especially when our forward lot forward structures a bit iffy at the moment. You know, you talked about that the moment when Cutler was seventy meters out and no one really led for him. There wasn't a lot of movement, and we talked before about the crows kind of flooding the fo- our forward line there because they were kind of under siege and they just had to do something to, to stem the bleeding. But they, there still had to be movement. someone still had to create some space. It ended up he kind of had to kick it out to like the flank and stuff. And that's kind of something that, that we've noticed over the journey, Mark. A lot When we do get marks, a lot of it's kind of like against the boundary. Whether it's in the pocket or it's kind of more the half forward flank, it's always against the boundary. We don't kick in that that centre corridor, that that V if you're coming out from the goal square there. That's kind of where we need to be focusing more. And I guess to do that, you need to either have space or you need to have some key marking tools. And at the moment, our key forwards are struggling a little bit. Look, he's kicked 30 goals, but, you know, the second half of the year, he's, he's really battling. And because he's really the, the only big forward in there, he's getting double teamed at times. You know, Peter Wright, Peter Wright does some nice things. Peter Wright does some things that, you know, a bit iffy sometimes. He also, because he's playing in the rack, he's also up the ground, up the field a lot, right? So he's mostly inside 50, so when someone's leading towards, like, he stands out when you see him. He's this big, tall guy. He takes a, puts his hands out, he can mark it. But sometimes he's just not down there. And then Harry Jones is, is a young forward there. Hasn't quite got the leading patterns yet, and that will come with time. But you know, he, he kind of needs to develop a bit more and get more disposals into his game. And you know, just the predictability at the moment—we're just too predictable that we're either going to kick it on, kick it deep on a forward's head, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a key forward. It could be any forward, you know, like could be Tipper, right? and then you can they can just cut it off and then. We start to kind of lower our eyes and hitting up some some leading targets in that kind of twenty-five to thirty meters out on a forty-five degree angle. Anything beyond we seem to be going beyond the forty-five degrees a lot. We need to kind of get it a bit a bit straighter. What did you think, Mark? Yeah, I think you're spot on. The the forward line's probably our main area of
1: issue, I guess, at the moment. And and all those points are exactly right. Being at the game. And not watching on TV, uh, I was able to see, I, I guess, a bit more of the ground and just of effort and the lack of leads that the forward line generally makes when someone has it at that sort of sixty to eighty meter out kind of range was a bit was a bit unsettling to watch. There's just you feel like if there's more movement and people, you know, leading out of space and creating space behind them. Uh, I know it was hard with Adelaide sort flooding, like you said earlier, but uh, I think you can combat that by movement, and dragging people out and creating a bit of chaos as well and, and uh, a bit of mayhem down there to eventually find a loose target. It's not going to work every time, but if you don't try it, won't work at all. So yeah, there's definitely a bit of work to be done in the forward line there. Um, the, the tackles we mentioned earlier were quite good. Like we had, we had good tackle numbers. We still think there's a bit of room for improvement though. This is something we've touched on the last week or two. Um, again, we had 12 players with two tackles or less. So there were six players that, only had one tackle and there was a player who didn't have any tackles as well. So I, I guess it's not, you know, a quarter goes for 30 minutes. If you play 20 minutes of that quarter, um, you know, to try and find one opportunity to lay a tackle, you might not get it every time, but I think that me and you probably agree that you should probably be going for, you know, one tackle a quarter, you know, on average per player, but that would give you a really massive number um, and create a lot of pressure. But uh, I guess, yeah, to, to not find a tackle or to only find one or two tackles in a whole game of footy, there's probably a bit of room for improvement there. We thought with the with the tackling side of things as well, despite it being something that we've actually done probably pretty
0: well this year in comparison to previous years. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I think we'll kind of move on to some players, some players now and talk about their individual game. So I guess, Two senior players that have um, been struggling in recent weeks, and we've kind of we're kind of highlighting them again here, and that's Devin Smith and Carl Hooker. That's not to that's not to say that you know they're not you know in our best side, which I think they I think they are. They're just um, struggling at the moment, whether it's their their body or they don't have a, a lot of um, help at the moment, or they're in a bit of a difficult role. But the one thing that I can probably say isn't dependent on your body or your role and it's how you use the ball. And both of those guys have gone under 50% efficiency for the game. So Devin Smith went at 47% and Carl Hooker went at, you know, 45%. So, it's, you know, one in every two kicks uh, is a turnover or a clanger. That's, that's not good enough, you know. Hooksy had the one goal and the three behind. So, you know, he could have kicked the four goals and he could have had a really big game. He had the six-score involvement, so... You know, from that perspective, he went alright, but he only had eleven overall, and if only five of them were, were, you know, went to our advantage, that's that's not really good enough. You know, same with same with Devon Smith. He, he kind of got involved a bit more, had the eight score involvement, so that was that was really good there. But you know, turning the ball over, you know, is is something that's really really important, especially the way the game's going. There's a lot of opportunities to have. We got the stand rule now, so you're really not under too much pressure. You know, you can kind of be the way the game was played on the weekend. There, you know, forty, fifty percent of the players were in the our forward line, right? So you had the rest of the ground. You were in space, so you, you know, you could have got a got a target there. So that was a bit a bit disappointing. And you know, I guess another thing is probably that we didn't do enough to help Darcy Parrish. This is really one of the first weeks that Darcy's had a, had a tag go to him there. And we've kind of talked in the past how we didn't do enough early in the year to help Zach Merritt. There's obviously that GWS game stands out when they kind of targeted him physically. And whilst that didn't happen to Darcy, you know, we just didn't do enough to block to help, help create separation to get Darcy involved in the game. You know, he only had the 19 disposals at, at 63% efficiency, six tackles, you know, five clearances from 85% game time. Now, you can't, you know, be getting 40 disposals every week, but we didn't do enough to help him be at his best. Yeah, I fully agree. It's, uh, it's probably the first time.
1: In in recent times, that he's had a sort of a hard tag, and uh, yeah, there could have been some more help from people around him to try and break that. Um, the other one was uh, Harrison Jones, so he's he's probably just struggled a little bit to get to find the ball, I guess, uh, lately. So he had five disposals at sixty percent efficiency. Um, he kicked a goal, uh, but he played eighty-one percent game time. So obviously a young developing player, um, but probably need to need him to sort of start finding a bit more of the ball uh, as he gains a bit more experience as well. So we're thinking maybe a way that that can happen is get him up the ground a bit more. He's shown to have good fitness and a good tank. So maybe – Keep Peter right deep, like you were saying, as a big forward target and give Harrison Jones a bit more license up the ground a bit to, to move around and collect more of the footy. Um, in the ugly category, uh, we've already spoken about the first quarter and the flooding there. A couple of other ones were just injury-related. So Dyson Heppel, obviously, with his thumb injury, I'm not sure exactly where, he, where or when he picked that up, but uh, he's had surgery and, um, and missed the game on the weekend. And then Langford obviously did his hamstring in the third quarter. So uh, that was unfortunate because he was, he was having quite a good game and uh, was up to the 17 disposals uh, as well. So that, that was a bit of an ugly, ugly one. So we'll move into the People Podcast Player of the Year Award, the Heath Hocking Medal. Um, I'll just go through my votes uh, very quickly, Brendan. We've spoken about a lot of these guys, so I won't go through all the details. But my one vote I gave to Archie Perkins two votes to Jaden Laverty, three votes to Zach Merritt, four votes to Jordan Ridley, and my five votes to Nick Hines. I guess just on Nick Hines, I just thought, just watching, I just thought he was one of the most influential players on the ground and that's why I basically got my best on. How did you go?
0: I had uh, all similar players to you, um, just in a bit of a different order. Again, it's a bit funny, We, you know, we found over the weeks that sometimes we, we all just have the same players and we don't talk about, we kind of keep it pretty strict that we don't talk about who we think our best votes are and but it's just interesting to see maybe because we um, we've gone to the football so much over the journey we kind of know what we like and we don't like and we kind of think a little bit similar there so my one vote again Archie Perkins uh, got, had the three goals three behinds uh, Zach Merritt gave my two votes to Jordan Ridley my three votes four votes to uh, Jaden Laverde. as I mentioned earlier I thought he's uh. Contested marking—it uh, was really important, and uh, and the five points. I agree with you, Mark Nick Kind, He had a he had a ripping game, and was um really impactful. And his run and his dare really stood out. And you know, for a smaller player to still get those ten marks, he's um yeah, it was really really good. So we might just do a quick recap on where our Heath Hockey medal votes sit. So.
1: In rounds 14 to 17, uh, Zach Merritt piled on a few votes. So he got 20 votes in that period. Jordan Ridley really came back uh, after sort of having a bit of a quiet patch after his um, concussion earlier in the year. Uh, Darcy Parrish and Nick Hine both piled well as well. Uh, Jake Stringer got going as well, coming back from injury. Jade Laverty continued to accumulate votes. And uh, Sam Draper as well got back involved after coming back from injury. Um if we move on to, I guess, the summary of where the votes sit. Uh, this is probably the last summary we'll do before the end of the year. So, do you want to just take us through, kind of,
0: kind of who sits up the pointy end of the of the leaderboard? Yeah, so I'll just go through the uh, the top five positions. So, at equal fifth place, we've got Kyle Hooker and Andy McGrath on thirty votes. Uh, in fourth place, we've got Jaden Laverty and Jordan Ridley at thirty on thirty nine votes. Uh, so, in third place, we've got Nick Hind on 43 votes. Uh, second place, we got Zach Merritt on 69 votes. And currently leading the Heath Hawking medal with 76 votes is Darcy Parish. So, um, yeah, it, it's just from looking at that, I think all one and two kind of make sense there. They've kind of – Parish and Merritt have been our best players uh, throughout the year. Um, Ridley and Laverde at down back have been really good. There, I think, you know, Ridley really – had a really good start to the year, kind of dropped off as you mentioned after the concussion, and then it's kind of really, really in this past month, ramped it back up to be, you know, one of our more more influential players. And Laverde's kind of been very consistent across the across the year there, and he's had had a couple of tough games as you know, key as key defenders do. We're not really in the votes, but he's um, he's uh, his aggressiveness in terms of his positioning as a defender, I think that all those years playing forward, he kind of, when he knows, when he beats his man, I can mark this and he goes for it. And that's really, really good. And then, of course, the uh, the standout is um is Nick Hine there, a bloke that, you know, was brought, mature age rookie, was given away by St Kilda, playing as a, you know, half forward, four pocket at St Kilda. And we've obviously identified him, backed him in, and now he's kind of, you know, the third best player, well, according to us, for the year. So, yeah, it's a a massive effort, Nick Hine, and um, it'll be very interesting to see where we end up at the end of the year. We might take a quick break now, and we'll
1: come back with some club news. To rounds 19 and 20. So in round 19, we'll play GWS on Saturday afternoon at 4.35 at Marble Stadium. And in round 20, we'll play Sydney Swans, at uh, Marvel Stadium, also on Friday night, so uh, a couple of good fixtures there, Brendan, uh, for the for the upcoming games. And in other club news, we had our third Rising Star uh, nomination for the year in Archie Perkins.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, as we talked about earlier, he had a really, really big game there. He had game highs in goals and score involvements. so uh, was a leader in those stats across the across the both sides. You know, is he's, he's played the 14 of the possible 16 games. So he debuted in in round three, and I don't think he's um he's missed a game since. So um it's really good reward for effort. You know, he's played some decent football across the across the year, and obviously with this performance uh, against the Crows, he kind of um stood out enough to get the uh get the nomination. So um probably go to some quotes from uh, Head of Footy uh, Josh Marnie there it says uh. Now, we're pleased for Archie that his season today has been recognised, and his performance on Friday was exciting to watch. Uh, Archie's hungry to continually learn both yeah, forward and midfield crafts, and he's uh, he's we've been they've been seeing improvement in Archie's game week on week, and uh, obviously they're excited by the chemistry of all our young players. You mentioned uh, Cox and Perkins and Jones, and they're looking forward to seeing the continual development in the years to come. So, um, yeah, good recognition for Archie, and um, m- hopefully it's the sign of things to come in the future years. Yeah, I think we've ran out
1: of uh, eligible people now to, win the, to uh, be nominated for Rising Star. so to get through this year is really good. Uh, some other news here was that we um, put in our formal submission uh, for our AFLW team uh, licence, or the bid um, there. So, uh, that would see us, if successful, join the national competition at the end of 2022, so the end of next year. Um, the submission highlighted, I, I guess, a strong women's football program that we've had through the BFLW and that we, uh, we have a good presence through the Northwest Corridor of Melbourne and the NGA regions as well in the, in the Northern Territory. Um, so we've got ability to, I guess, attract and retain female talent um, I guess a, a large part of our bid obviously would have gone on our, the progression of our VFLW side over the last couple of years. And, um, and I, I guess also the facilities and the upgrades that have happened at the hangar as well is uh, is really focused around um, both women's and men's football now with the, the change rooms, the ground, the facilities and, and everything that's there. So uh, I guess a, a quote here from Xavier Campbell was that we are a football club with proud, rich, diverse, inclusive and successful history and, um, but it will take our 150th uh, anniversary year in 2022 for our football club to be truly whole when we finally welcome our long-awaited AFL women's team. So hopefully that happens uh, in 2022. I think if it doesn't, if we're not successful, I think it would likely be the following year anyway. I think we'd be in that last band of clubs to to go through. So um, we've we'll definitely put our best foot forward, and uh, hopefully uh, all the hard work that the that the women's program has been doing in the VFLW. Gets
0: recognised and it can get elevated to an AFLW status soon. Yeah, it's certainly, um, certainly be good to have a, an AFLW team. And as, as as was mentioned there by Xavier Campbell, kind of, um, and I think Josh Marnie's mentioned it a couple of times, he's come from Melbourne, how he's, he's found it a little bit weird coming from a program that had an AFLW team to go into one that doesn't, and how it kind of just, just a bit disjointed. So, kind of, um, with all the, uh, Facility upgrades that we've made. We've really set ourselves up to when we do get a team to be uh, a very strong team and one that's really going to attract uh, the best players and uh, help them develop the best. So, I guess we're talking about the AFLW, we'll move on to the VFLW. Uh, they had they played their semi final against Collingwood on the weekend. Unfortunately, uh, they lost by seven points. So, it was uh, one goal, five 11, to two goals, six 18. Um, so even though we lost the semi-final, we've got the double chance there. So we'll um, we'll talk about some of the, the the better performers on the day for us. So again, the captain. I think every week we start with the captain. She's going that well. Georgia Naskin. Uh 29 disposals, two marks and 13 tackles. Just <clears throat> winning the football and stopping the opposition from from getting the football seems to be her game. She's always Got big tackle numbers there. Uh, Lauren O'Herns number 39, 22 disposals, three marks, six tackles. Uh, Georgie Presparks, 21 disposals and 13 tackles. I think she's going to be. I think she was named in the under 18 uh, national carnival side as one of the you know the best players there. I think was picked as the rover, so I think uh, she'll probably go very high in the uh, in the next AFLW draft. Uh, Alana Barber, number 11, had the 18 disposals, 10 tackles, kicked it behind. Ruby Savark, number 41, had the 13 disposals, four tackles and kicked it behind. And then our our kind of lone goal scorer for the day was Jesse Davies, number seven, nine disposals, seven tackles, kicked the one goal one. So um, kind of, as as I mentioned, kind of a bit disappointing that we had had the loss to Collingwood. Uh, good news is we've got the double chance. Uh, we'll play Geelong at Windy Hill this Saturday uh, at two pm. So um, hopefully the girls can get a win uh, against the Cats, and then, funnily enough, we'll be play- face Collingwood again in, a, in another final in the grand final there the week after.
1: Yeah, so hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully the girls in the VFRW can. Can get up. They got close on the weekend, so hopefully they can get up against Geelong um, at our traditional home of Windy Hill, and uh, yeah, progress onto the grand final. that will be an absolutely huge result uh, for the club, and 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 a real testament to how far the VFLW program has progressed in a short period of time. So, uh, we wish the the girls all the best on the weekend. On the VFL. We're not going as good in the VFL, in the men's here. So, round 13, we played Sandringham. We lost by 67 points. So, it was Essendon 10 goals, 10, 70, To Sandringham, 21 goals, 11, 137. So, we had the 11 AFL-listed players play again. So, uh, Nick Bryan had the nine disposals, 38 hitouts. Uh, Ned Kale had the 13 disposals, uh, four tackles, a couple of behinds. Brendan Zirk-Thatcher had 17 disposals, four marks. Uh, Josh Eyre uh, just had the four disposals. Uh, Braden Hamm, uh, we mentioned earlier, so he had um, he had quite a big game uh, in the VFL, had 36 disposals, four marks, six tackles, kicked two goals, one, playing in the midfield after having played the last quarter of the AFL game the night prior. So huge effort from Braden uh, backing up in the VFL after having played the last quarter of the AFL game as well. Um, and I'll let you round out the remaining
0: players, Brendan. Yeah, so we had Lockie Johnson, had the eight disposals and nine tackles. Dylan Clark, in his second game back, had the 26 disposals and 11 tackles, kicked it behind as well. Uh, Cody Brand had the 10 disposals and four marks. He played a a bit of time forward there. Ken McBride, with the nine disposals, six marks, and kicked the goal. Uh, Sam Durham, the 19 disposals, four marks. And then uh, rounding at the uh, 11 AFL list of players was young Tom Hurd. 15 disposals, three marks, four goals. Sorry, three marks, four tackles, three goals, one behind. So he was our, our leading um, goal kicker for the game, Tom Hurd, and he kind of um, the club put up a bit of a highlights clip of, of his performance over the weekend there, and he's just kind of um, always competing. He's got a of strong left foot. He's kind of does a couple of clever things. He's still very, um, very early in his development, considering kind of um, he's playing soccer for a lot of his junior years there. But um, yeah, as the weeks goes on, he's impressing, and it seems like this move into the forward line has really, um, really seen him flourish there and get get a bit more footy into his hands there. So um, hopefully, if he can continue on that track, he tracky uh, later in the year, so the VFL side. Currently sits 20th out of 22 teams. We've only got the, uh, the two wins for the year and our percentages are 61.8%, which is not great. So um, some other news with the VFL is that due to the COVID restrictions that have kind of been ongoing, the VFL, they've decided to, to cut the competition by, um, by two games. So it was initially 16 matches across 19 rounds. Uh, but now it's going to be 14 games across 19 rounds. So the top eight and the, and the final structure was all in unchanged. changed, um, <laughs> going by the fact that we <laughs> – how bad are we going? I don't see. I don't think finals are going to be an issue for us at the VFL, unfortunately, so we won't have to worry about that. But, um, yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting to see how they've kind of moved on the run and decided to change the uh, – the format of the competition. So um, our next match is going to be against North Melbourne at Arden Street on Sunday at two o five pm. So a bit of a clash with the AFL game, but if um, people are keen to go watch some football in, in person, kind of have a look at the young kids go around, they might be able to do that. I know both the um, the VFL and the VFLW games are going to be broadcast live on KO. So if people want to kind of have a look at that, they can there.
1: All right, we might move uh, into another break, and we'll come back with the AFL preview. Past one in the afternoon—that's a—that's an ugly time, Brendan. If you want to go to that game, you—you uh, you cost most of your day. You're leaving home at probably eleven thirty, and you're not getting home till five thirty-six o'clock
0: by the time you get back on the train or back out of the car park. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's not great, but it, it's. It's one step above the old four thirty game on a Sunday though, so it's not not quite the worst, but yeah, it's um, it's probably second. <laughs> sure. All right. Um, in our injury. So David Zaraakis uh, has a
1: has a wrist injury that, uh, to be honest, wasn't really aware of until the club update came out. So I'm not sure uh, where that's <laughs> come from, but. Uh, Maybe he picked it up the same time that Dyson Heppel did his thumb. So I guess if we bulk those two together, Zaharakis and Heppel with their wrist and thumb injuries are both a test, uh, may be able to come back this week, may not. We'll find out in the next few days. Uh, Aaron, Francis, Aaron Francis, rather, with his um, mental health and personal leave, um, he is to be confirmed. Uh, I think he's back at the club training, but uh, obviously they'll, they'll take that day by day and see what's best for Aaron. Uh, Andrew Phillips with his hamstring is probably still got another one to two weeks to get through uh, his rehab before he's available for selection again. Dylan Shear with his knee uh, is progressing well, but interestingly on, uh, to be honest, I thought he was a little bit further ahead of where he was just based on, I guess the news that you are given at various times from the club. Uh, But interesting that Sean Murphy said he's probably got, uh, you know, in the coming months. So it sounds like we still three to four weeks away. I would have thought, um, based on those comments. Um, Kyle Langford unfortunately, did his hamstring on the weekend uh, against Adelaide, so that's going to be a minimum three to four weeks and hoping that that's not something that they rush uh, because there's there's really no such thing as a hamstring that's less than three to four weeks. So hopefully we can get that right for Kyle so that it's not a longer-term thing. Um, Speaking of longer-term, everyone else on the injury list is in that longer-term bracket. So the likes of uh, Joe Corwell, McGrath, Mosquito um, Reed, Baldwin, and Hurley are obviously probably all done for the year. So, um, with that, we'll move into North Melbourne's injuries. Uh, they don't have as big of an injury list, Brendan.
0: No, no, they've got um, a small number. We've got We've got twelve blokes that are on our injury list. So we've got we've got quite a um quite a long one. Theirs are a, a lot shorter there, and um really the two that really stand out there are Aiden Cor and Taylor Garner. So Cor's out with a toe. It's kind of indefinite. He was kind of a big free agent recruit uh, this year for um for North Melbourne, coming from GWS. Kind of that senior body key defender. So he's probably been sorely missed for them. And then Taylor Garner with the ankle, one or two weeks. He's kind of been uh, unlucky throughout his whole career at North Melbourne. He's always kind of been injured there. And then other than that, they've kind of got guys who kind of you know haven't played a game or kind of a, a bit in and out there, like a Dom Tyson, Aiden Bonner. So um, I think they're really going to be uh, – would have really impacted too much against us this week, and they're certainly not the key players. So we'll turn to the key players now. Um, as always, when you go up against North Melbourne, you've got two players you've got to really worry about, and that's uh, Todd Goldstein and Ben Cunnington. <laughs> so Goldie, I think he just uh, this weekend broke the all-time uh, hit-out record. It was held by Aaron Sandilands there, so – He's now got the uh, the most hit outs ever in uh, VFL AFL football, so um, he's in really good form. Uh, obviously, Sammy Draper's going to have to compete with him. Uh, might, might be an opportunity for uh, us to bring in uh, a Nick Bryan to support, or especially if we talked earlier, Mark about maybe playing Peter Wright a bit deeper forward. I just think the way uh, the way Goldstein's going at the moment and his work around the ground, he might um. Sam might need a little bit of assistance just because, uh, you know, he's had that long layoff and even though he's like two, three weeks back now, he's not – still not in in prime physical nick, I don't think. Uh, And then obviously talked about Cunnington, just continually has been for many, many years one of the best, if not the best, inside clearance player in the competition. Uh, Big, strong man, physical, uh, I guess – with all the injuries we talked about, our midfield has been decimated, you know, with Scheel, Langford, Corwield, McGrath. Um, we've kind of been playing Jakey Stringer in the midfield a lot more to be that big strong body clearance player. And I I would suggest he's probably the only one that could probably physically go with a Cunnington. So uh, that would kind of been my matchup for him. Next on the list
1: here, we had Ben McKay, who's uh, a key position defender. So he's, he's developing into quite a good defender um, who can, I guess, go one-on-one with his man, but also take an intercept mark as well. I guess a good matchup for him physically and uh, mobility-wise would be maybe a Peter Wright. Um, I, I guess Cale Hooker might struggle to, to kind of match up with him and, and go with him, uh, I guess, speed and fitness-wise. But I think Peter Wright might be a suitable suitable matchup there. Um Cam Zerha is a, a crash-bang forward. He's just a physical beast uh, who likes to bash in. Um, he's had some big hits. I think we mentioned the last time that we played North Melbourne, he's had some big hits against Essendon, and uh, and he's done it against plenty of other clubs as well. He's hitting the scoreboard plenty this year as well. Uh, so he's he's definitely in some good form up forward. A, a good matchup for him in, in game style, the way they play, both uh, physical, would be Jaden Laverde and someone who's also in good form playing his role. So that would be a really good head-to-head uh, Matchup we thought as well.
0: Yeah, and then um, we kind of probably moved into kind of more some younger North Melbourne uh, midfielders there, and Jai Simpkin and Taryn Thomas. Um, Simpkin kind of, oh really, both of them kind of inside outside. Simpkin's kind of more your traditional midfielder, was Thomas is a bit more, a bit more skillful, a bit more classy, but still, still can win his own ball. Uh, obviously, Simpkin's a bit older. He's kind of really become that. Second midfielder in that um, North Melbourne midfield, and Taran Thomas has kind of moved from a flank kind of into the middle this year. So for Simpkin, I think a, a probably a matchup is probably going to be Darcy Parish. Both can uh, both can win the ball inside. Both can spread from contest. If they uh, kind of went went head to head, that'd be um, that'd be an interesting matchup there. And for Taran Thomas, I think uh, younger player. M- m- maybe we won't want to go someone who's got a bit more of a defensive mindset maybe put a bit of physical pressure on him. Maybe look at someone like a Mac Guelphie. We're obviously, as we mentioned, running low on midfield numbers at the moment. So maybe some guys that play on a flank or, you know, on a wing or maybe on the bench that've kinda of, kind of step up and play bigger minutes in the midfield rotation. And I think that's probably a good opportunity for, for Guelphie to get his minutes in the midfield there and stop, you know, what's going to be an important player for North Melbourne. Onto the three key questions for this week, Brendan. So I'll
1: start with the first one for you. So uh, despite being on the bottom of the ladder, North Melbourne is going to play in two grand finals in 2021. Uh, and that is because we are their grand final. They love playing us and they play us twice this year. The first time was unsuccessful, uh, but they play us again this week. So I guess the question to you is, will, will North Melbourne get up for us like they usually do? They just... They love playing against us. They try and build it up as this uh, cross suburb rivalry and and, uh, put a lot of focus into it. And it's been disrespectfully dismissed by our players in the past, which I'm sure has angered North Melbourne. But uh, yeah, the question is to you will North get up for us
0: and give us a little bit extra this week? They would have, when the fixture came out, when they heard they were going to play us twice all their Christmases come at once. Uh, <laughs> uh, they they we as you mentioned they, they really, really, really get up for this. They, you know, maybe maybe because of close proximity, they don't really have a lot of rivals there. They haven't been me- mega successful across, you know, many decades of their history there. And I guess, you know, with you know when they were successful yeah, initially there, they kind of got Barry Davis who's We've talked about was an Essendon champion, came across through the 10-year rule, and he kind of captained their first two premierships. And then in the 90s, there they obviously had you know that Pagan Sheedy battle uh, it was kind of uh, one that went away. Never really um, managed to play Melbourne, North Melbourne, sorry, in a uh, in a big final in that mid mid 90s era. But obviously, uh, 99, 2000, 2001, there was a lot of big games between the two clubs, and I think we we, we won most of them there. So um, they they will be really up for it there. Uh, I think it's their home game this week as well. So they'll be able to um, kind of put all the promo out there about the, this rivalry there and the, you know, the the marshmallow game gets brought up all the time, you know. <laughs> you know, oh, it was funny incident, but surely it's not. It <laughs> doesn't have to be brought up every, every single time the club the club plays, and I guess the reason why it gets brought up every single time is because there really isn't that much of a rivalry, <laughs> so, but they hang on to it uh, desperately. So um, long answer to your short question, yes, they'll be up for it massive.
1: <laughs> um, the next one here we had was a bit more of a structural question. We obviously <laughs> mentioned earlier that we've got some problems with the forward line. Um, so I, I guess what do we do in the short term to try and fix that? Do we, do we reach out to some club champions in Lloyd and Lucas and try and get them back to the club to teach someone <laughs> how to throw a lead or uh, what do we do in the short term to, to try
0: and combat this issue we've got in the forward line? Uh, it's a tough one because we really don't have anyone in the VFL that we can bring in like McBride, Air. You know they're they're too young. They're throwing you know Cody Brand. I think played a couple minutes forward. Uh, Paddy Ambrose, not, and he's not listed. as injured, but he didn't play in the VFL, so I don't know what's going on. I think he I think he might have got injured a couple week back, but a bit like the Zaharakis one, that's just kind of kind of not mentioned or listed. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned earlier we kind of got to maybe play, you know right a bit deeper, maybe don't have him get up the ground, maybe get Jones up the ground a bit more. Do we do, we do something funky? Maybe we go hooker back, Stuart forward. Maybe that's something we look to do. Kind of kind of look to get Hooksy back in a role that he that he knows really well. Maybe give them a bit of a break of that freedom. We know that Stuart, you know, you know has a lot of good attributes for his forward. He's tall. He's a strong lead. Maybe that's something we look to do. But I think I think you're right. Really, the key thing is going to be kind of lowering the eyes. It's more what we do, getting the ball inside 50 as opposed to what happens when the ball's in the 50. What about, uh, you mentioned sort of
1: swapping Stewart and Hooker. I I sort of like that idea. I wouldn't mind, uh, yeah, something like that. Stewart goes forward, tries something a bit different. Uh, What about this one? What about Nick Cox plays as a key forward one of Mm -hmm. these weeks? You know, this sort of game might be a game to do it where you're not you're not playing, I guess, one of the top teams and maybe the uh, development matchups are a little bit closer. Um, what about Nick Cox? He gets, you know, so he's had plenty of goes on the wing and that he obviously has said himself and the club has said that they want to progress him into a key position player of some sort, whether that's a centre-half back or a centre-half forward. Why not give him some exposure and some small spurts? of, of You know, it's a, it's a need we've got at the moment and um,
0: he might not be the answer in the short term, but it can't probably hurt. I really like that idea. I think maybe if you you could switch him and Harry Jones, maybe get Jones on a wing, use his height and his running, kind of get involved. Maybe that gets him a few more possessions. I guess I guess with this week, the issue would be we kind of lost Langford. He can kind of play a bit of a wing role. We've obviously brought Cutler in, but you know, as, as as depressing as it is, in Coxie's you know is in his first year. He's almost become an integral part of the midfield, considering. How many guys we don't have in the midfield at the moment? If we had a full strength midfield, I think maybe we could be a bit more, a bit more flexible there. But at the moment, I think just we're just desperate for numbers. So I think maybe that, that that will be something that goes against that idea. But I do think it is a reasonable idea. Um, so of the final three questions there, Mark, um, kind of looking forward now, we've kind of got what six six games to go uh, to the end of the year. Um, do we? Do you think we can make the eight? Um, I'll quickly just say, so we've got North Melbourne this week, we got, then we've got GWS at Marvel, then Sydney at Marvel, Dogs at Marvel, the Gold Coast at Metricon, and then Collingwood at the MCG. So, you know, we only have to travel once uh, uh, for the rest of the year. We have the next four games at Marvel Stadium, which is, you know, a ground that we play pretty well on, kind of suits our fast-running style. Uh, can we Can we make the eight or, you know, are we going to slip away? My
1: short answer is no, I don't think we'll make the eight. Can we make the eight? Yes, we can, but I don't think we will make it. So um, the reason I say that is because of the six games left, you kind of look at them and, and uh, at first glance, you kind of pencil in a few of them, you know, North Melbourne, Gold Coast, Collingwood. And then when you sort of stop to think about it, you think, well, North Melbourne just beat the Eagles out of the stadium and they're not looking that bad. They haven't, you know, since the earlier games in the year where they got blown out the likes of the Bulldogs and that. They haven't actually looked that bad. They've actually looked, looked quite good. So I'm not even confident against North Melbourne, who's the bottom team this week. So it doesn't give me any more confidence to, to face, you know, GWS and Sydney and uh, and those teams that are sort of a similar sort of spots to us in the ladder. Uh, and then we move into the Bulldogs, who th- I, I actually think that that could be a, a damaging game for our percentage <laughs> against the Bulldogs, such is my lack of confidence there. And then Gold Coast and Collingwood uh, have both shown some good form lately. So I think just with the way the year is and how many clubs are pushing for that spot, um, you really can't pencil in anything anymore. So I, I don't think we'll win all those games. I don't think we'll lose all of them either, but I don't think that we're going to win enough to, to beat other clubs to that spot. And then I also think, is it the worst thing in the world if we don't make the eight this year? I think if we do make the eight, you're likely travelling to Adelaide to play Port or you're going to play play, uh, you know, potentially against the West Coast in Perth or, or something of that nature, Sydney in Sydney. Um, we've struggled in games where we've had to travel and play elimination finals, and they've ended up being quite embarrassing results. And I just wonder whether maybe it's a little bit premature for us to make the eight. With our current experience and, I guess, our injury list, it might be worth getting close and having the hunger to go one step closer next year. Um, I'm not sure whether... Making the eight and then get bundled out by a big margin in an elimination final would do our confidence all of that good. What
0: did you think? Oh, I agree with everything that you, that you said there. And I, look, I think we're we definitely a chance. Uh, the draw does open up for us a little bit, but um, certainly no guarantees. As you, you know, not as you said, not not even confident that we're uh, we're 100% get a win against North Melbourne this week. So, and they're the bottom side. So. Um, yeah, I guess the I'll, yeah making a finals would be good. It would definitely be before we're ready. And as you mentioned, we've had we've had a lot of bad losses in those elimination finals. You know, Sydney Sydney one's probably the most recent one where we got we got bashed. Then you go back to Carlton, we lost by ten goals. And you go back to the infamous uh, Adelaide game where we under Matty Nice, where we didn't pick a ruckman, and then it was then we got beat by ten goals there as well. So yeah, I just I'd, li- I'd like to see us, obviously, I'd like to see us get a win in a final, but I don't think that's going to gonna happen this year, unfortunately. So um, I guess we'll kind of move on to, to this week there, some possible changes. So I think we've probably got one confirmed out in, uh, in Kyle Langford there and all the reports uh, is that Captain Dyson Heppel will be fit from his finger. So, you know, one in, one out makes sense. Um. Who, I'm not quite sure what's happening with Aaron France. I think we've said past couple of weeks there, if he's fit, he plays. Um, if he comes in, do do they drop a Gleason, you know, a last in first out, you know, especially if Hebble comes back in as well? Uh, what's his role there? And, you know, does, does Braden Hand come back in after a very big week weekend in the VFL? Or does he bring in and, you know, do they look to drop somebody else that maybe isn't performing? Uh, that well. Or what do you think, Mark? Yeah, I think you've pretty much nailed those there. So I think, uh, Leah Langford's
1: length is a definite out. Um, Heppel, it sounds like he might be close to coming back. So you're right, if he comes back, it's probably unfortunate for Gleeson. He's probably the, the only real option to take out of that back line to squeeze Heppel back in. And then uh, I think you're also right in that Braden I guess, had a big game in the, in the BFL played the sub role so if they decide to elevate him to the 22 um, who falls out and I guess they might be doing something a bit more creative then by that stage if they're doing that what you know does that mean that someone's a bit unlucky like a like a Waterman or something like that drops out um, I think if I was going to pick a player if, if Braden Ham was going to come back in I, I know we've sort of given him a bit of a bake the last couple of weeks but I think Devin Smith is the logical one he's not He's not playing that well he's not uh, he's giving away a few free kicks with' doing penalties he's, his efficiency's been well down he plays a similar kind of uh kind of position as ham i guess uh, kind of as a, as a bit of a pressure smaller player so um they're probably the ideas that I've got but i think I think we'll probably only see Langford out for for maybe one of either Francis or Heppel in um, and possibly Gleason drop out if both of them come in I, I don't think I don't
0: think we'll see Ham come back um, off that one game just yet. You don't. You don't think maybe with the lack of Langford in the midfield there, we could bring Francis and Heppel both in and keep Gleason in the side. Maybe Hep Hep goes into the middle. We try something funky like we said earlier with 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 Stewart. So Francis goes back. So Gleason gains his spot. You know, maybe Jones or Hooker. Maybe drop out of the side and maybe they need a rest and neither of them had a rest this year. So maybe that's something we look at. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. Apple's got the ability obviously to go in the middle and
1: to try and um, support those guys that are sort of getting, getting uh, the the, the amount of depth is drying up now. So there's not, there's not a lot to pick from. So uh, yeah, you're right. Is could go into that midfield role, chop out, give some minutes, uh, to him, that frees up some others as well to, to uh, rotate a bit bit more efficiently through the side. So, um, yeah, that's another idea and that would keep Leeson in the side and I wouldn't be opposed to that. He played, played a really good supporting role on uh, last Friday's game. Um, The result in the margin, so we've spoken about North Melbourne being bottom of the ladder but us being a bit nervous, I guess, about them. They're in some good form and the, the second half of their season so far has been being really competitive and uh, we know that they get up to players each time that they, they come up against us. So uh, what's your prediction for, I guess, win and loss? And uh, and if we do win or we do lose, how much will it be
0: by? Uh, um, as you know, I'm, I'm a pessimist, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to say we're going to win uh, and I'll probably say we'll win – we say we're – a goal and a half, a quarter, better side. So what's that? That's a six-goal win, so 36 points. I think that's that's not not as bad. You know, I think North Melbourne are going better than Adelaide are at the moment. I certainly don't think that well, the game will shape anything like the the game that we had against Adelaide. But North Melbourne are a young side. I think they're, it's a six-day break coming back from Perth. So... They might be up against it there. We, you know, we've obviously been in our own beds at Marvel, which is a ground that we kind of play really well at. Um, our pace has given North Melbourne some trouble over the journey. Uh, so maybe that might go into our our favour. But I guess in, uh, in North Melbourne's favour, they've got, you know, a top quality ruck win and a really, really good brigade of in tight inside clearance mids. So maybe they can get enough ball going, going forward their way. So then it's going to come down to can guys like Laverde, Stewart if he's back there, Ridley, Redmond, Hind, kind of contain those those key fours, those Larkies those Cam Zerhars, you know, those kind of dangerous type fours that North Melbourne have. Yeah, so for me, I think... Uh...
1: I'm also going to tip us for the win, so I think I think the Bombers can win. I was going that we I I think this game will be a a bit close, and I think that we might be a goal a better side, uh, a a quarter better side. Sorry, Uh, so I think uh, the Bombers by 24 points. Um, uh, I hope I'm right because it'd be be nice to have another win and watch that, especially against North, uh, who we don't mind rubbing into. So uh, yeah, Bombers by 24 for me um social media you'll find us on instagram and facebook by searching essendon people podcasts uh where we post up the notifications about these episodes coming out and uh also scores after the game and um just some uh, news here and there club milestones and the like so find us on social media and give us a follow um if you if you can give us a rating and a review on uh on the platform uh of your choice that you listen to this on that that. uh helps us out as well by by knowing how we're going and uh, if there's any room for improvements so do that for us as well if you can and uh, otherwise uh, I think that's it for us this week so go Bombers. Go Dons.